0: Well, I'm going to jump right into God's Word today. Are you, are you ready to get into God's Word and to hear from Him? All right. And so why don't, yeah, absolutely. Turn with me to John chapter 7. And while you're turning, let me go ahead and welcome all those who are watching online. If you're watching online today, we say welcome in. We're so glad that you're partaking and participating with us and just pray God's best for you wherever you are. Can we welcome those watching online? We, we, um, we get some pretty cool pretty cool stories, and so I always want to make sure everybody's a part today, and um, I will say this. I hear from a lot of people like, hey, Pastor, I was out on the road traveling, but I decided to live stream, and what I would say is just listen to the sound <laughs> if you're driving don't watch the video that's all I'm saying that's it we're not responsible for that at, at all and so uh, John chapter 7 we we've been in a series of the last few weeks it's something we do every year called I heart my church and we do I I love my church do you love your church anybody love their church I, I think you should love your church and and we believe that church should be enjoyed and not endured and and we believe that church shouldn't just be a ritualistic kind of religious thing that we do every week but it it should be life-giving it should be exciting it should be life transforming and so we we don't show up on a weekend because it's like Sunday and it's church day we're like no it's Sunday it's fun day we get to go to church we get to go into the presence of God we get to be changed and transformed by him we get to hear from his word we get to be empowered by his spirit we get to be even sometimes challenged in our soul and to follow him in new ways and trust him in new ways and that that this is what what we want to do is excite it's fun. And, and no, our church isn't perfect because it's full of people. In fact, our church isn't perfect because you're here and because I'm here and we're all jacked up, right? But we have a perfect God who has perfected us by his spirit and is perfecting us by his grace. And, and, and we're on this pursuit of all that he has for us. And so this isn't a religious experience. It's not just a church service. It's so much more. It's a gathering of his kids and in and, and, and his presence and, and, and it empowers our lives so so that we can live the lives that God's called us to. So we'll take it with the good, and we'll take it with the bad, we'll take it with the pretty, and we'll take it with the ugly, right? And we'll, we'll just take it as it is, because the church is God's solution for the world. It's the hope of the world. And, and so we we love our church, and so we don't mind once a year saying, hey, if you can love your shih tzu, we can love our church, amen? And you gotta be careful when you're saying shih tzu in church, that's all I'm saying. Somebody right there just got offended. My God, what did he say, Ethel? Get your purse and <laughs> um, so uh, <laughs> Anyway, anyways, we, we love our church. And, and what we've been talking about this year is that God, we feel like has has really challenged us as a church. It started at our elders' retreat to go deeper into him, deeper into his presence, to hunger for him more. And 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 part of the outflow of that is, is that he wants us to extend our reach. Um, and so we've always been generous. We've we we've got people in our church that are involved in so many different ministries and outreaches, and we're so excited about that. And and we give financially. Financially, we, we, I think last year we gave over $180,000 away to ministries in our community and, and around the world. So if you gave the pathway at all last year, you planted churches in India, and at the same time you counseled someone not to have an abortion but to consider an adoption. I, you did all of that, and everything in between, feeding, clothing, helping, loving, serving, giving, you, you did it all in between uh, because we do those types of things every every week around here and so we we love that but we just feel like god wants to empower us to go out and we're working on some things right now where we're gonna we're doing outreaches uh probably as much as once a month we'll have one day set we'll have some some leadership in place and and we're going to give you more information about that but but with all of that so so here we're going deeper going out farther so deeper and farther deeper and farther right with all of that I just felt like the, the, the Lord quick in me has been leading me, the Holy Spirit quick, and that's, a, that's an old school church term. That means prompting, leading, um, but God has really been speaking to me about His Holy Spirit and how much we need the Holy Spirit, and we've been talking about that the last few weeks, and so we're in John chapter 7 this week, and we're going to talk some more about the Holy Spirit, and so in John chapter 7, before we read the text, um, you kind of have to know what's going on. In John chapter 7. So for for Jews, there there are seven major feasts. And um, there are seven feasts. There are three that are considered major feasts. And and so you're required to go to Jerusalem to celebrate them, at least the males of the family, the, the head of the family, if you will goes to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast. One of those is the Feast of Tabernacles. Um, the Feast of Tabernacles is probably one of the coolest parties. Uh, it's, 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 it's a little different because um, it's one you want to bring your kids to, right? And not that the others aren't, but I'm just saying, Passover, we're going to slaughter some stuff, and that can get messy. You know, and we think about that, but if, think about it, if you're a priest and you're doing Passover and every family has an animal that you have to slaughter. I'm so glad for the New Testament, y'all. Because I mean I can field dress a deer, but it's not like I want to do eighty thousand of them today. You know what I'm saying? I mean that gets pretty. Uh, yes. Yeah. So, anyways, but but this one they actually come and they they take these branches and they make these booths like 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 tents. It's almost like a campout because it's all symbolic of how God led them through the wilderness, right? And how God was with them as they were moving through the wilderness, camping right through through the wilderness. And so they make these these what they call booths or or tents out of this branches. And at night they sit out under the stars and they talk about the stories of their ancestors. And I'm sure there's a campfire. If there's a campfire and, there's, and, and they're camping, I'm sure there had to be s'mores. At least in my mind, there was s'mores. because I, and, and I do think God made, I mean, the Bible says every good and perfect gift is from above. And s'mores to me are a good and perfect gift because <laughs> they always leave in me wanting s'more. I just want s'more as s'more. As, as How much do you, I just want s'more, right? And, and and we do a camp out with our boys at, at least once a year. And, and Pastor Mark and I will take uh, our boys and we go camping and we're gonna have s'mores. And it's not a camp out till the s'mores come out. Are you with me? I mean, we have, it doesn't matter that we do the chili cheese dog with the chili cheese fritos on the chili cheese dog. It's like a chili cheese frito pie chili cheese dog. It's intense. Right. And then the s'mores come out and we eat s'mores. So we just get sick, essentially wash them down with chocolate milk, <laughs> put peanut butter on. Them. Ooh, Jesus. Anyways. Um, and so, so they're having this camp out, like literally tens of thousands of people come, come to Jerusalem and, and, and they're camping out. And, um, Historically, it's representing God bringing Israel through, through the, the, the wilderness, but prophetically, uh, you may not know this, but according to the Bible, there's going to be this thousand-year reign of Christ, this millennial reign of Christ, and every nation of the world, once a year, will go to the holy city to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles and to worship the King of Kings. Once a year for a thousand years, that's what we're going to do, and so uh, it's, it's pretty incredible. In fact, when you talk about tabernacle, you're talking about Jesus. Because John says that the word became flesh and it says dwelt among us. That is actually tabernacle. It's actually he tabernacled with us, which what happened in the, in the wilderness, right? Is that God, there's the tabernacle of Moses. And that was what went with them and led them through, through the wilderness. And so it's like an eight-day celebration. And on, on every day of the feast, uh, the priest will start at, at the Temple Mount and he will get a, a golden pitcher and he'll walk down um, to, to the pool of um, Siloam. So he walks down to the pool of Solomon. and he gets gets a pretty steep walk because it's from from the Temple Mount to the Old City to this pool. He gets a pitcher of water, and then and then he walks back up. And there's like a parade; people are following him. They're going with him, and, and then he'll get to to the altar uh, of the Lord, uh, and he'll bring the water, and he'll pour the water on the base of the altar of the Lord. And then there's like these three shofar blasts, right? Like shofar, so good, and and um. It's a ram's horn, so there's these blasts. And then all of the people will cry out from Isaiah chapter 12, and they'll say, uh, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Cry it out right? So for seven days, this was at, on the eighth day is kind of the culmination of this feast, right? Everybody's full of s'mores. They, they've been having good times around the campfire. They've been playing some kind of guitar song, Blue Shadows on the Trail. I don't know. It's just, where are my Three Amigos people at? Come on. Do y'all not remember that from the Three Amigos? Do, <laughs> do, 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 do. Blue Shadows on the Trail. Anyways, soft wind blowing through the trees. Anyway, so they so they, they singing. Anyways, eighth day culmination. The priest goes down to the down to the pool. He, he takes the pitcher, he gets the water, he brings it back up. But this time, he circles the altar. And he circles the altar like uh, six times, and then he stops. And then he circles the altar a seventh time. Now, why? Because that represents the Battle of Jericho, which was the first victory in the Promised Land, which marked the end of the wilderness wandering. But then on that seventh time, now this is the culmination because they all know what's going to happen, right? And he's circling with the pitcher of water, seven, seven, you know, six times stop. And then on the seventh time, he goes around and a hush falls on the crowd, right? And then, and then he pours the water on the altar and then the shofar blasts and then the people all cry out with joy we will draw uh, water from the wells of salvation it's pretty pretty intense what's going on but with that kind of understanding right of this this is how this is celebrated Now, I want to read what Jesus did in the midst of this, what he said, because I think it it gives a lot of context and a lot of understanding. So, John 7, verse 37, it says this on the last day, it says the eighth day, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Check this out. Now, here's what I think happened. The priest goes around six times, stops. Seventh time he goes around, stops hush falls over the crowd he starts pouring out the water and jesus cried out now we know they heard him now they didn't hear him with trumpets blasting and they didn't hear him with everyone else quoting isaiah so when the hush fell over the crowd that's when i think jesus said and the bible said in the original greek to to cry out like a raven's cry like anyways i'm not gonna make that sound but <laughs> no sense injuring yourself and so uh but but anyways said so, he says this, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And what do you mean by this? Well, thankfully, John tells us by this, he meant the spirit or the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up until that time, the Holy Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Pretty intense moment. I call this this message, go with the overflow. Go with the overflow. Can we pray? Um, Jesus, we have gathered in your presence really for one purpose, and that is to hear you because it is by hearing you. God, that we gain faith. It is by gaining faith, God, that our lives are transformed and empowered to be that which you have called and created them to be. And so, God, in this moment, we want to remove all distractions. And God, we want to focus on you. We want to hear from you so we can be transformed by your truth. So, Holy Spirit, come and speak to our hearts and change us forever in Jesus name. And everybody said, amen. You got to go with the overflow. Jesus stands up and said, if you're thirsty, come to me. And then he said, rivers are going to flow out of you. So let's talk about this. Three things. You can write this down. And this is where we want to start. It's also kind of where we're going to end. But number one, to do all God wants, you need all God, you need all God offers to do to do all god wants you need all that god offers it says jesus said to them he cried out it said let anyone who is thirsty here's what jesus was essentially saying that that there's something you don't have here's what jesus probably knew everybody's thirsty everybody is thirsty how do we know that everybody's thirsty Well, if we want to know that everybody's thirsty, we can go back to when Jesus talked about himself being the water the first time in John chapter 4. In John chapter 4, he goes to a Samaritan well where this Samaritan woman in the heat of the day is going to come and draw water. And he talks to her and he says, could you give me something to drink? She's like, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. We don't hang out. And Jesus is like, well, I need something to drink. And she's like, you need a bucket. He's like, give me something to drink. And then he tells her, look, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that was saying, give give me something to drink, you would have asked me for something to drink. And I would have given you living water that will forever satisfy you. Now, why did she need living water? Was she thirsty? Well, we know she was thirsty because she'd come to a well. But we also know she was thirsty because Jesus said, hey, go call your husband. And she said, I don't have a husband. And he said, oh, yeah, that's right. You don't have a husband. You've actually had five husbands and now you got a thingamajig. In other words, you've had five husbands and now you're just shacked up. Now, most people look at that and think, oh, man, this woman, she's a hussy. She's a harlot. There is something wrong with her. But you need to understand. You need to understand. Listen to me very carefully. Listen to me. A woman couldn't file for divorce. She had been abandoned and rejected by five men. And now the man that she was with said, I'll take care of you, but I'm not committing anything to you. What was she thirsty for? It wasn't water. She just wanted to be loved and accepted. And, and so she's coming to the water, They're coming to the well to get water. But Jesus said, oh, you're thirsty. You're thirsty, all right, but it's not for water. You just want someone to see you, someone to know you, someone to value you, someone to love you, and someone to accept you. And he, he said, you need to understand this. For this reason, I have come to love and to redeem and accept and to see and to value you. And so if you'll ask me, I'll give you what you're really thirsting for, which is not H2O, but it's something down in your soul where there's hurt, and there's brokenness, and there, you ask me, I'll, I'll give you love and acceptance that you've never known. Amen. She was thirsty. It's interesting, though, because he said this water, check this, to her, he said this is gonna be a spring. It's gonna spring. But now in John 7, he tells all of Israel, essentially, there's a river. What's the difference? Well, check this, to the woman who's thirsty, but but haven't, hasn't believed, He's offering her a spring for her soul. But the Bible says he said this to those who believed, but had not received, He said, "There's a river. To those who haven't believed, there's a spring that will water your soul. To those who have believed, there's a river. That will bring life to the world through you. See, we've kind of been asking the question, is there more? Like, is there more to God than what we have? Is there more to God than what we know? When the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit, is there more that he does? Because sometimes we relegate the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit does a lot, you understand. Like there's fruits of the Holy Spirit, there's gifts of the Holy Spirit, there's the anointing of the Holy Spirit, there's the presence of the Holy Spirit, there's this presence of the Holy Spirit in you, on you, around you, through you. There's fire, there's water, there's a baptism. And so we've been, we've been we've been talking about this to say, hey, could could there be more? That Jesus said there's this promise of the Holy Spirit. And even though he had told the disciples, you need to go into all the world, he said, hey, before you go, you need to wait for this promise. I think what he's telling them is, and when I'm looking at John chapter 7, here's what I'm hearing. I want you to go, but if you're going to go, you're going to need an overflow. Because there's a spring for you, but there's a river for those around you. That, that when we receive Christ, I believe that the, the Holy Spirit becomes resident. He, he is breathed into us and our spirits are resurrected. We become alive on the inside, right? But, but now he's talking about, that. that's a spring to me. But now he's talking about a river. And he said it's specifically about the Holy Spirit. And now he's saying that, that this river overflows. Well, why do I need it to overflow? If it overflows, it gets out. Well, well what's outside of me? Other people. So when he's telling the disciples, he's like, hey, I want you to go in all the world, but you're going to need more than a spring. We know they'd already received the Holy Spirit because he breathed on them. And they said they received the Holy Spirit. Right. That's like in John 20 or John 21. Right. But then he says, go wait until you're empowered until you're baptized. What's he saying? Like you need the spring for you. It's going to water your soul because everybody's thirsty and most people don't know what they're thirsty for. And when we don't know what we're thirsty for, we try to fill it, whether that's with Oreos or with men or women or relationships or substances, right? And, and, and so when we don't know what we're thirsty, we're thirsty, for something. He's like, no, 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 this is what you're thirsty for. Everybody's thirsty for something. This is, what you're, this is the thing that satisfies. But then you tell the disciple, that spring, you know what? That becomes a river. And before you go, you better go with an overflow because the river means it's, it's for somebody else. And so we've been asking this question, is there more? And we talked about last week, three baptisms. Like the, the scripture shows us these three baptisms uh, in, in scripture. And, and I could walk you through this. And I gave examples last week. Let me, let me show you one the tabernacle of Moses. You came to the altar for the shedding of blood. That's salvation. That's where the Holy Spirit baptizes or, or where the Holy Spirit baptizes into the body of Christ. That's first Corinthians 12, All right? Shedding of blood, salvation. Then you go to the laver. That's where you wash with water. Well, that's that's, that's water baptism, right? Go and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Got that one. But then in the tabernacle of Moses, the next thing you do is you're anointed with oil. Well, what is that? That's always the Holy Spirit. Right? What about Abraham? Well, Abraham was called out of Ur, right? Ur of the Chaldeans. He was called out of of his people, right? Come out from among them and be ye separate, right? This is the New Testament scripture. But he was called out of them. What is that? Salvation. Then, then he, he has this covenant ceremony with God. What, what is that? That's, that's water baptism. But then God changes Abram's name to Abraham, putting the in there and Sarai to Sarah. What is that? That, that syllable is actually breath or spirit. What's the symbolic? Well, there's, there's salvation, there's water baptism, and, and there's something else. Right, right? Are, are you with me? What, what about, like, look look at this one Acts chapter 5. I'm sorry, Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, this is is when the Holy Spirit comes to yet another group of people. Acts chapter 8, verse 5, it says, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. Verse 12, but then they believed, it says, but when they believed, I'm sorry, when they believed Philip as he preached, the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. Check this. They were baptized, both men and women. So, so what do we have? They believe what we call that salvation. Now they've been baptized because they believe what do we call that water baptism, right? By the way, I'm reading this from your Bible. I don't have a special version, right? This is the NIV. No, this is ESV, but still I didn't write it. All right. They were baptized by men and women. Look at verse 14. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, look at verse 15, who came down and prayed for them. Now, why did they come down and pray for them? That they might receive the Holy Spirit. Now, this is, this is after, I mean, this is, I don't know, six, six seven years after Acts chapter 2. Right? So this is Pentecost is fulfilled with his cloven tongues of fire flame on. Right? And, and, and that's all happened. Right? And, and then, and, and so because of that, we know that when they believed the spirit made them alive inside and then they were water baptized. And then Jerusalem said, we got to send a delegation. These brothers need something else. Hmm. And it said that they went and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 16. For he had not fallen on any of them yet. Not fallen on any of them yet. But they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So so listen, we cannot, and we talked about this last week, we can't be talking about the same thing. Because it just said they were baptized. Now saying they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord as though to refer that there might be another baptism. Right? Now now this is this, I mean, this is Luke writing this, and Luke's pretty solid because he and Paul wrote about the same of the same amount percentage-wise of the New Testament, which 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 you know, roughly they wrote about 27, 28 percent of the New Testament, which is roughly 28, 27 percent more than any of us wrote. Okay? And so can we all agree with that, right? And obviously, you know, God liked their books because he wrote the forward for it, right? And so so he endorsed it, but he's saying, hey, they had only received this baptism, but there was something else. Verse 17, then they laid their hands on them and they, look at this, they received the Holy Spirit. What's that? Here's the thing, I believe Jesus is our example. You believe Jesus is our example? So if there's like a baptism and a baptism and a baptism, wouldn't it make sense that, that Jesus would have modeled those in some way? Well, well, the first thing is that we are baptized uh, by Jesus uh, or by the Holy Spirit, baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. So we are born again. Now, now did Jesus need to be saved? Now, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go out on a limb here and just believe that none of us really think Jesus needed to be saved. Like I've read some crazy jacked up theology, but so far, no one's written a book that Jesus needed to be saved himself. We have to be born again because we were born wrong the first time. We were born into sin. Jesus was without sin, so He was born righteous the first time. See, we we are in sin, and we are born again righteous. He He was born righteous. That's why He was the seed of God in 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 the woman of Mary, which meant He was without without sin right? Does that make sense? So can we all just start there, right? But then what was next? He had to be water baptized. Was Jesus water baptized? We all know the answer. Yes, because John the Baptist is the one that said, hey, look, I baptize with water. So what was his ministry? Baptizing with water, uh, and and it symbolized repentance, right? Are you with me? And he said, but there's somebody coming after me whose Jordans I can't even lace, and he is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Okay. Can we all agree water, fire, not the same. Can we all agree with that? Okay. So, so, and John's saying, I baptize you this way, but he's got a different baptism. Right. I just want, I, we're just asking the question. Could there be more? That's all we're asking. I'm not trying to get anybody to do anything. I'm just trying to preach the gospel. Right. Are you with me? And so, and so could could, could there, could there be more? Well, then we know when Jesus was baptized, check this. The Bible says that heaven opened, God spoke, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And it said the Holy Spirit, and this is where I think some people get confused. The Holy Spirit, like a dove, descended on jesus holy spirit like a dove now i just want to make a point it wasn't the dove like a holy spirit right, right? <laughs> there's this pastor he's preaching he was preaching on the he's preaching on this preaching on the holy spirit and so he wanted to illustrate a sermon so he got one of the boys in the church to get up in the attic right above the platform because there's a hole there where no vent was there and and he said when i say uh, uh, you know uh, the holy spirit like a dove I want you to release this dove through the church, right? And he was looking for this big climactic moment, right? This and so he said, I said the Holy Spirit like a dove, and and nothing happened. So he kind of backed up. He said, I said again, I said the Holy Spirit like a dove. And nothing happened. Finally here's this Pastor, Pastor, a cat ate the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Do you want me to throw the cat down? <laughs> <laughs> things pastors do—we're crazy sometimes. But things <laughs> that would have been awesome—the Holy Spirit like a dove and a cat fall. What do you? Do? What do you do with that? That's the devil. No, anyways, I'm sorry if you're a cat person. I didn't mean that. So, but we know Jesus baptized. But then it said the Holy Spirit like a dove is a simile, um, and so it's 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 a comparison. It's given us given us something to to to, to Compare it to to a picture like this, right? So, what's it saying? The Holy Spirit descended on Jesus. And in fact, one scripture says the one you see the Holy Spirit descend on and remain on—that's the Messiah. And this marks something new because in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon people, like and the Holy Spirit came upon Samson, and the Holy Spirit came upon King Saul, and he prophesied, right? And and but now the Holy Spirit cam, comes upon Jesus. And, and remains, which is a picture for us that, that now there's somewhere the Holy Spirit comes upon us, his anointing, his power upon us, and it stays with us by the grace of God. And so, so here you have Jesus, he's water baptized, but to me it looks like he, he was baptized, the Holy Spirit came upon him. Remember, remember what the, the, the apostle said in, in um, Acts chapter eight, we just read it, it said, it said the Holy Spirit had not fallen on them, but yet yeah, the Holy Spirit fell on Jesus. Are you with me? And so we're just asking the question. Um, Dwight L. Moody was probably one of the greatest evangelists of the late 1800s. And in fact, we still know of him. Today, there's Moody Bible Institute. I think he started several uh, Bible schools to teach people. Crazy enough, he only had like a fifth grade education. Um, but, but he was just so empowered by the Spirit. But he, he was a businessman, had some success, and then became an evangelist. And as an evangelist, he, he, at the beginning of his ministry, no one knew who he was, and he wasn't very successful. And he was actually preaching meetings in this one church. And there were these two ladies and they came and talked to him and they said, we've been praying for you that you would receive the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And, and he asked them what that was. And they started explaining what they believed. And he said, well, don't pray for me, pray with me. And they began to pray with him. And he began to ask God for uh, if there's another baptism that he wanted it. Until finally one day he's walking down the street and the Holy Spirit comes upon him. And he went into a friend's house, said, I need to borrow a room. Went in the room, rock, locked the door. And the Holy Spirit just baptized him with, with his presence. So much, though, so that this is what he wrote in his journal. He said, he said I was overwhelmed with the Holy Spirit, filling my soul with such love and joy that at last I had to ask God to withhold his hand lest I die on the spot from the very joy. Now here's what's crazy. His ministry after that looked completely different. One tour in in England, he preached to two and a half million people. In fact, one of his critics says, I suppose that Dwight L. Moody, Moody at this point has emptied hell of one million souls. Here's what, here's what he said, because after this experience, his ministry changed, and people were getting saved, and he was preaching to, to literally millions of people, whereas before, no one really knew who he was. Now, he, he, someone asked him, what, what's the secret? What did you change? Here's what he said. The sermons were no different. I didn't present any new truths, yet hundreds were converted. And he said, for that reason, I would not be placed back where I was before the blessed experience I had with the Holy Spirit. It's awesome, isn't it? And so, so here's what we have to realize is that if we want to do all God wants, we probably need all he offers. Right here, here's the second thing. According to Jesus in this text, the goal wasn't to be a reservoir, but to be a river. It wasn't supposed, we weren't, we weren't called to be reservoirs where just the Holy Spirit is in us. But we're, we're called to go with an overflow. Like, like, this is the power that is released through our lives. It's one thing to have power in you. It's another thing to have power flowing through you. And, and he didn't call us to be. It's kind of like it, it, someone said, well, what's the difference between salvation and, and what you think Jesus is talking about in John 7? Like this other baptism, this being full of the Holy Spirit. And what I say, well, if I took a glass of water and I just poured a little water in it, maybe it's half full. I'd say, man, that's salvation. Man, the, the water, you've, you've got water in you, right? It's good. It's, it's good, good for what ails you. It's good for what you thirst for. It's great. But if I took a picture and started pouring water into that glass till it overflowed on every side, I'd say now the water in you can start affecting the world around you, right? And so we're called to be a river, not 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 a reservoir. Rivers rivers are powerful. How how powerful are they? Well, the Amazon River, which is the largest river in the world, and it actually it actually accounts for for. Um, one-fifth of the world's complete river flow. And that's pretty intense. That it, It's its like you put all the other rivers together, and it, it, all the rivers of the world together, and just that one equals one-fifth of all of them. It's, it's pretty, pretty intense. It's so big that the bridges can't cross it. But it's powerful. Well, how powerful? Well, the Amazon River is so extremely powerful, it discharges at the mouth of it Eight trillion gallons of water each day. How much water is that? Well, I did the math, and I did it in a way we'd understand it because there that that would mean that that if we took every swimming pool in the United States, which is about four hundred million swimming pools, apparently we do a lot of swimming. 400 million swimming pools the amazon could fill every swimming pool in the united states 36 times a day rivers are powerful i remember during the floods um, earlier or or late last year i remember during the floods uh, i was watching the news and it showed this river that got outside of its banks and it was just flowing and it took out a whole bridge as though it were nothing rivers are are powerful and so I think what Jesus is saying here is, is like, I'm not looking it like, like, like for you to do what I've called you to do. The, the, my plan for you is not just to be a reservoir, not just to have the spirit, but to be a river, a conduit of the spirit that, that I want him to flow through. So what does it look like? What does it look like when the, the Holy Spirit is, is flowing through us? What does it look like when, when we're a river? Well, it looks like number one, we're, we overflow with boldness. We see this in Acts chapter 2. We see it in Acts chapter 4. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. Like, like the disciples are in a room, and they're like, they got death threats. Like, stop preaching the gospel. Or you're going to prison. We're going to kill you, whatever. And they're like, what do we do? They pray, and the Bible says, when they prayed, the place was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And what did that overflow of the Holy Spirit look like? They went out and proclaimed the word of God with boldness. So it looks like it's boldness to proclaim God's word. What does it look like? Well, fruit, like the love of God is shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Spirit. What happens when I'm full of the Holy Spirit? When I'm full of the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden his nature, like the nature of God starts flowing out of me. Love flows out of me. Joy flows out of me. Peace flows out of me. Patience, if you have a toddler or a teenager, flows out of you. Right, you always need patience for the T's, toddlers and teenagers. But anyways, it just flows out of you. Right, It just flows out. It over, overflows you. But also, the Bible says there's some supernatural abilities, we would call them gifts, that can flow out of us. Right, and The Bible talks about a lot of gifts. I think there are even more than mentioned in Scripture, and I kind of talked about that last week. But Romans 12 says, man, that, 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 that prophecy can flow out of me, but also hospitality can flow out, mercy can flow out of me. And, 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 then, and then Ephesians 4 says evangelism can flow out of me. First um, Corinthians 12, though, gives us nine different things that can flow out of us. And, and unfortunately, and I'll say this, when we're talking about the Holy Spirit, unfortunately, unfortunately, so many times we, we push against this because of, of one word when it talks about the Holy Spirit. It's divided churches, it's divided denominations, it's one word, and it's Tongues. And because we see this word of tongues in 1 Corinthians 12, we see it, we see it in there. All of a sudden we're like, well, we don't want that anymore. That's because we don't, we don't understand it, right? And, and, and if I don't understand it, it couldn't be God. I'm wondering, I'm wondering if we tell God that he can only move in ways that we understand. See, you don't have a problem not understanding how God sent you the money, Right? So, tr- so truthfully, truthfully, we got to break this down a little bit because we're okay with God doing some things we don't understand. That's right. That's right. Like, I don't understand how God did that miracle. I don't understand how he turned water into wine. I don't understand how he healed my back. I-, I don't understand. But you know what? I'm not, I'm not down with this tongues thing. I don't understand it. When we start telling God, he can only move in ways that we understand. We have limited the infinite to the finite. We've made ourselves God and ask him to serve us. So I think with anything with God, you're going to have to be okay with mystery. Because Paul actually tells us right now, you can only know in part. That's what he actually said in 1 Corinthians 13. He said, hey, right now we only know in part and these gifts only work in part. He said, I only prophesy in part. But he said, when we behold Jesus face to face at his second coming, we'll know everything in, in full. And then he said, then we won't need the gifts anymore, right? I don't have to prophesy about Jesus when I'm looking at him. Like, hey, that's who I was talking about right here, guys. That's the guy right there. He's a the man. Are, are you with me? And so we have to be okay. And, and, and I hate the fact that because of fear or anxiety or because of even well-intentioned people who, who maybe, maybe led us to believe certain things or, or, or bad experiences that we had, I, I would hate for us to throw out this idea of being a river that could actually impact the world around us because we don't understand what tongues are. Okay. And because we're scared of them because we don't understand it. And here's why like, I'll just say this again later by saying now, if you, if you don't want to speak in tongues, you don't have to worry about it happening. That's That's true. That's true. Yes. Yes. Right? I'm going to free you up. And here's the thing. At our church, no one's ever going to try to make you speak in tongues. We don't do that kind of stuff here. No one's going to hand you a a tambourine or a streamer, right, or set your hair on fire or a snake. I mean, we're not going to do stupid stuff. But if God has promised us something and and Jesus is telling us something and he's telling us we need it and he's telling us it's a gift and he's telling us that we want to have it, then we want to explore that a little bit, don't we? Doesn't that make sense? Oh, I'm sorry, Jesus. I don't want the good things you have because I don't understand tongues. Like, I get it. I've had some weird church experiences, trust me. I could tell you stuff, man. I got some stories for you. But you know what? That was just well-intentioned weird people. I mean, it was. I mean, they, they loved the Lord. They were so well-intentioned. They just a little bit off in some ways, but I'm not going to throw God out because I ran into a weird person and I'm not going to call the Holy Spirit weird because I met a weird person that told me they had the Holy Spirit. I met some weird people with Corvettes. I'd still drive one. (laughs) Are you with me? And so I want to bring just for a second, just some clarity, as much clarity as I can, because I, I can't, I, again, we know in part, I can't explain everything, right? I can, I can explain that I don't want to tell God how he can move in my life. I want to tell God that he is allowed to move in my life. That's, that's one thing I know. But when it comes to tongues, I think one of the things that's confusing in the Bible is we lump tongues as just tongues because we didn't really maybe take the time to explore what it actually is. And when we start exploring what it actually is, we actually find three different distinctions in tongues in the Bible and Scripture. And I'll show you really quickly. In Acts chapter 2, we all know these cloven tongues of fire, flame on, right? These cloven tongues of fire, the rushing wind. And the Bible says that, the, that the, they spoke in other languages, right? But, but here's the caveat. Acts chapter 2, 11 says that, that the people heard them speaking in their own languages about the wonderful things God has done. In other words, um, in other words, they were speaking to them an unknown language, but these guys over here were like, "Oh, we know what that means. Man, you're telling us you're preaching the gospel in our own language." right? And, and so to me, we see this in the Bible. in fact, this still happens some on on the mission field. Ironically, it's, it's there's still stories of this not, not that you go control it, but God does something by His grace and and all this was is, is it was tongues, but it was a sign for those who didn't believe that these unlearned people that didn't know their languages could actually preach the gospel in their native language. We, we had this happen one time in a prayer meeting I was at um, it was it was like crazy, okay and guys, you know like I don't like weird stuff, I'm strange, but I don't like weird stuff, I don't like freaky stuff. I'm like sh- let's just let's like simple. Not crazy, right? And and but we're in a prayer meeting, and all of a sudden this lady starts speaking in tongues. Well, I, I I understood what was going on. It didn't necessarily freak me out. It was in a prayer meeting, and 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 then when it was over, um, the the person leading the prayer meeting said, "Hey, uh, is there anyone that would have an interpretation of this?" And this guy in the back said, I don't need an interpretation." He was from Africa. I I, I won't say which country because I can't remember exactly. But but he he stood up and he said, I I don't need interpretation. I know what she she said because it was in my native language. And God just answered everything I was asking him about before I go back to my country. Now, you don't make that stuff up, man. Because that lady didn't know whatever his language was. She knew two languages, East Texan and American right? So, but, but that's kind of what happened on, on the day of Pentecost. Then, um, then there's what we call the gift of tongues, which we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 right? And, and the gift of tongues for it to benefit the church has to be interpreted. And then it works like prophecy. It brings exhortation. Paul teaches all this, by the way, First Corinthians 12, First Corinthians 13, First Corinthians 14. But First Corinthians 14, 13 says, so anyone who speaks in a tongue, look, should pray for the ability to interpret what it said. And he goes on to say, because if you don't interpret, it, it doesn't help anybody. So in other words, blasting out a word in tongues when no one knows what it's said doesn't help anybody. It just brings confusion. That's what he's because the Corinthians were just running around. Everybody's speaking in tongues to everybody and they're all freaking each other out. And, and he, like visitors are coming to the church and they all think they're nuts. Right. And, and Paul's trying to help him. He's like, you're all freaked out. You're, you're just messing this whole thing up. Like, and that's why Paul said, he said, it, it would be better in the assembly to speak one word with understanding than thousands of words in tongues. But at the same time, Paul, and can we all agree that Paul's solid on his theology, that he is a good source since he wrote about, you know, for the New Testament more than us? He said, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Maybe that was the secret to his ministry. Just a thought. But he's telling him, he's like, when you come together, that's not the time for everybody to start acting out like that it's going to create confusion people are going to think you're crazy right he's like hey if someone's going to speak a tongue in an assembly they need to sit and say okay do i have the interpretation of this right and so he is he's just bringing order he's an apostle he's bringing order but so there's that's the gift of tongues that has to be accompanied with the gift of the interpretation of tongues and then the last one he talks about this is paul again it's a prayer language what we would call prayer language where what Paul said to the Romans, he said, when I don't know what to pray, that the spirit of God actually prays through me. And I don't even understand the sounds of it. And you say, well, how is that possible? I don't know. Ask God. But 1 Corinthians 14 says, this is Paul again. He said, if I pray in tongues, my spirit is praying, but I don't really even understand what I'm saying. Now, just, I want you to understand what Paul just said. I don't understand it. But he also said, I pray in tongues more than all of you. So Paul was okay pressing into something he didn't understand. I just want you to, to note that, right? And so he said, said, my understanding, I don't understand what I'm saying. So he said, well, what am I going to do? This is verse 15. He said, well, then what do I do? Well, I was just praying in the Spirit. I'm not going to stop. He's like, I'll pray in the Spirit, and I'll also pray in words I understand. And he said this, I'll get all happy and I'll sing in the Spirit and also sing with words I understand. And so what's he talking about? He's talking about a language that he had that was a prayer language that he would communicate with God. Now, why why is that important? Because could you imagine just what he said? When I don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit can actually pray with me and through me the perfect will of God for the situation. Now, how helpful would that be in your life that the next time you didn't know what God's will was and you didn't know how to pray and you didn't know what to pray that the Holy Spirit would come be your prayer partner and pray in and with you and through you the perfect will of God. How helpful would that be? To me, it'd be, it'd be very helpful. And that's what Paul's, Paul's talking about. The last thing is this. It says, Jesus can make every person a river, but only if they want to be. And you understand, Paul said this to the Corinthians. He said, He said, look, the spirit of a prophet, you need to understand when he says prophet, that to him is the the most important or the highest gift. And so he's including all gifts in that. So he's saying whoever has the gift of the spirit, that spiritual gift is subject to the person it's operating through. The spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. So what he's saying is God's never going to force you to do something. You're going to have to allow God to use you. Right, God, like you're not you're not going to have to worry about God taking over and making you do crazy things. That, that God doesn't he doesn't operate that way, right? And, and Paul told us, by the way he he said he said. And this this first thing, if you if you if you want a river to flow through, is you have to desire a river to flow through. You have to desire. Jesus said, "Come, come on, if you're thirsty. Come on, if you want this. Come on, if you believe." You, you have to desire, it. and Paul actually tells us this, 1 Corinthians 14, he said, desire, he says very clearly, desire spiritual gifts. Now, he said, be filled with the Spirit. He didn't say if you wanted to, he just said, you need this, because he's trying to straighten out the Corinthians, but so, that was Ephesians, be filled with the Spirit. Um, Ephesians 5.18, he said, be filled with the Spirit, now, it's like not even option. that's what Jesus, he didn't give his disciples an option to go preach the gospel until they had waited, he said, no, you got to wait, then you go preach. you got to go with the overflow. Right. So Paul says, be filled with the spirit. Right. And, and this is what I want you to understand is that Paul talked so much about the power of the Holy Spirit, but, but he also talked about the nature of God. In fact, he stops right in his discourse about teaching on the Holy Spirit and he gets to 1 Corinthians uh, 13 and all of a sudden he busts out in this thing about love. And, and really what he was saying is an, an ounce of love is better than a pound of gift. That, that, that the overflow of the Holy Spirit with the nature of God. So it's his nature and his power. His nature and his power. Are, are you with me? And so here's what Paul said. You need to desire the gifts though. Like love, it's good. you got to desire the gifts. That you're not going to be filled with something you don't want to be filled with. That's what I said. If, if you don't want to speak in tongues, you're like, I, Pastor, you're not going to make it. I don't want to make it. It's not even my job to make it. It's not even what I'm trying to get you. I'm trying to get you to ask the question, is there more than what you have? I'm just trying to get you to explore, is there more to this than what I know? And, and, and I'm not trying to make anybody do anything. I'm just trying to preach the gospel and say, I think there may be more than maybe what you know. And here's what I say, if you're sitting back here, I don't want gifts and I don't want to do, you don't have to worry about because God's gonna, he's not gonna make you do stuff. Neither is anybody in the church, right? And, so, and so, um, so you have to desire it. Then you have to ask. This is what Jesus said, Luke 11. Now think about this. Luke 11, he said, I want you to ask, right? If, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more do your, your heavenly father know? Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. Now, here's what I'd like to point out. That when we bring people into salvation, whether we're leading them into a prayer or confession or whatever, did anyone, if someone's leading you to Christ, did anyone tell you, now you need to pray, Lord, I ask for your Holy Spirit. No, we ask for forgiveness. Right? I ask for forgiveness. Forgive me my sin. Make me a new person. But Jesus said, no, no, I want you to ask for something else. I want you to ask for the Holy Spirit. Just a thought. But, but you have to ask. And the last thing is you just have to receive. You have to receive. Um, what, what does it take to receive? Well, it takes the surrender of your will to someone else's. If, if I wanted to give you that Corvette we were talking about, anybody want a Corvette? Free Corvette today at Pathway. Wouldn't that make the news? Um, hey, all of a sudden, it's an Oprah moment. These are a few of my favorite things, and you get a car, and you get a car, and you get a car. No. Anyways. Um, <laughs> but but if, if, um, if I wanted to give you a Corvette, and I said, hey, I really want to give you this Corvette, you know what you'd have to do? you'd actually have to surrender your will to my will to receive it because it's my will that is giving. Your will has to be set then to receive, which is subject to the giving. Does that make sense? In other words, I'm going to put my hand out with keys. You've got to put your hand out in what? You have to open it, surrender. Are you with me? And, and so when, when we want to be filled with the Spirit and we're asking God to fill us with the Spirit, what well, well we have to ask, we can't have anything we don't ask for, right? Right? But before that, we have to desire, like we have to say, is there something more? And do I want something more if there is something more? Then we have to say, well, if there is something more and I might want something more, I got to ask for something more. And then I have to say, okay, now I'm going to receive whatever he wants to give me. It's how we we receive. And and so here's the thing. Jesus is saying, hey, if you want to be a river, I can make you one. If you want God's spirit to overflow your life, so it can affect and influence and impact the world around you so that it can empower you and enable you so that my nature and my power will flow through you so that you can do what you're called to do if you want that you can have it you can go with an overflow but here's kind of what he told his disciples is make sure you overflow before you go Make sure you over, like go in all the world, wait a second, but wait, wait for the promise. After you have the promise, then go and be my witness. Overflow before you go, so you can go with an overflow. And it's the same promise he said, Peter said to you and your children and as many as God will call to himself. And so what I'm saying is this, is that I think there's something more and I think for us to do all that God wants, we need all that God has. Amen. Are you with me? Can you give Jesus a praise? <clears throat> Why don't you stand?